the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Episode number 20, a conversation with Jan Lawrence, Executive Director of the Reconciling Ministries Network. Welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. It is our purpose here to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through, through conversation and commentary. And that is exactly what we are doing today as we're having a conversation with Jan Lawrence. She is the Executive Director of the Reconciling Ministries Network. First, we did, we did want you to know then on the United Methodist Podcast.com is our website where you can find back episodes of the podcast. And we invite you to go there and check out. We have some conversations with some bishops and some other leaders from the church. And you can always find us also on iTunes and Stitcher and on Facebook at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. Jan Lawrence is with us today. She and I had a fascinating conversation about lots of things impacting the church right now. She grew up in rural Georgia, got involved with very in the business world and in various endeavors, but she always had a heart for serving other people, a heart for service. She got involved with the Reconciling Ministries Network and is now the executive director of that body, which has which is a network that has is advocacy for full inclusion in the United Methodist Church and particularly in matters that are impacted by decisions regarding LGBTQ persons. It's a network of 40,000 United Methodists and over 1,000 reconciling churches and communities. They are organized to do various things in the life of the church, to be an advocate for folks, in some cases do holy resistance, and to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. So that is about her. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Jan Lawrence from Reconciling Ministries Network right now. Reverend Dr. Brad Miller back with you on the United Methodist People podcast, where it is our mission to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary. Today, we have a great guest with us. Her name is Jan Lawrence, and she is the executive director of the Reconciling Ministry Network. Jan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brad. Um, and I'm very happy to be here and to share with you, and I love the, the purpose of your podcast. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And, Jan, uh, you are the executive director of the Reconciling Ministries Network, and we're going to go a little deeper into what that's all about in a minute. But for my guest, I almost always like to hear a little bit about your faith story, how you came to know the Lord and how you have uh, expressed that in the local church and other aspects of your life. Thanks. I can I can certainly share that. I was um, I grew up in the 
northwest corner of the state of Georgia in a community called Rome, Georgia. I grew up as a Southern Baptist, so as I was growing up, I was very engaged in the church. Um, we were there. We, we used to tease my mother that she had, and tell her that she had us at the church every time the doors were opened. Um, so I was engaged in, in ministries there all the way through um, my, the youth department um, until I went off to college. Um, I went to Wesleyan College in Macon, Georgia, which was the is affiliated with the United Methodist Church. It is um, the first college chartered to grant degrees to women in the country. Just a little bit of trivia there. Um, we um, so I so that was um, actually my second introduction to Methodism. I had visited a Methodist church um, in high school, but. But that was my second introduction. I attended um, both the Southern Baptist and United Methodist Church while I was there. Um, then I, when I got out of college, I moved to Central Florida and took a job working for Harris Corporation, which is a communications company that um, is, is based out of Melbourne, Florida. Um, and for a long time, I didn't go to church. Um, it was the... 80s and there was a lot of talk about spiritual but not religious and and not doing organized religion and etc so i for a long time didn't go to church and then um in the early 90s or mid 90s i guess it was started feeling a, a real need to to be a part of a faith community again um and did a lot of denomination hopping for a little while just trying to figure out where i could find a home and and interestingly enough found that into the united methodist church um, because of its focus on social justice and because of its work in the local community where I was in Florida. Awesome. Well, and now you've emerged as, the, as a part of the Reconciling Ministries Network as executive director. And, of course, the Reconciling Ministries Network is really involved with lots of things involving the, uh, the challenges we're having in our United Methodist Church right now. But if you will, just give us a little background on what the what Reconciling Ministries Network is and kind of define and give us a sense of its purpose. I can do that. Um, Reconciling Ministries Network has been around for roughly 35 years, um, first informally and then formally. Um, we are an organization that um, really is a movement. So churches affiliate with our movement. Individuals affiliate with our movement. And the focus is inclusion of LGBTQ people in the United Methodist Church. Um, because LGBTQ people go across all other intersections, um, we do a lot of intersectional work. Um, and we are engaged in efforts to ensure that we end systemic racism in the church and that we have equal pay for women in the church, etc. Um, but... We have seven full-time employees spread out across the country. Um, the regional organizers that are in um, three different areas of the country do a lot of organizing of, of United Methodists in those areas. Um, we have a large presence at annual conferences across the country. Um, and our goal is to not only to mobilize, but also to educate people. We get a lot of questions, particularly at this moment in the life of the church, about who are you and what are you and why should, this, why should I care about um, this issue in the church? 
Um, so we are glad to be there to answer those questions. Um, well, it, it seems like um, the whole matter of, of, of human sexuality is right at the center of the controversies in the church here. So you mentioned about some of the things of who you are, but who are you for? Who do you speak to in the church or in the community? That's an interesting question. I, I think who we're for is not to, to sound like a cliche, but we're really for all people. Um, the church should be a place where everyone feels safe, where everyone is welcomed, um, and where that welcome is regardless of who they are. The church should be meeting people in the community where they are. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to church groups about opening the doors and going outside and finding out who's not in church on Sunday mornings. Um, but at this particular moment, the, most of the work we're doing is around um, the challenges we're, we, we all have because of the actions of the 2019 General Conference um, and not really knowing all the answers to the questions that people, are, people have right at this moment. Well, let's talk a little bit about the actions of the 2019 General Conference, and certainly that has brought groups such as Reconciling Ministries Network uh, a higher profile in the, in, the, in the life of the church, uh, better understanding uh, better understanding of the things that you are for and, and, and about. In terms of the Reconciling Ministries Network, how you mentioned about being influential in annual conferences, but what are some of the specific things you are doing to help local individual clergy or lay people or local churches? How can they speak to the challenges that the potential schism in the church, traditional plan and the one church plan, uh, the debate, the debate and the decision of that? What are some of the specific things that are being done and can be done? The answer to that is a little different depending on the, the geographic region of the, of the country you're in. Um, one of the best things that congregations can do in trying to speak to people on the margins is to include people on the margins in, in their ministries. Um, it might be LGBTQ people. It may be that the focus of your particular congregation is racism, or maybe you have a large um, Latino population in your congregation. There could be a lot of different intersections where, where there are marginalized people that, that your congregation needs to, needs to minister, be a ministry with and, and to. But some of the suggestions that we give congregations with respect to LGBTQ people are invite a, a, a queer pastor to come preach on a Sunday morning or host a Bible study for your congregation and other neighboring Methodist congregations and invite leaders from the queer community in, in your annual conference so to come and lead that Bible study. Expose folks expose folks to situations that they might be uh, unfamiliar with or not realize that this is a, a part of their everyday everyday life, really, and kind of bringing things to the surface here. And sometimes I've heard the term used of holy resistance. Um, 
that I, to me that kind of connotates uh, some of the things you know we have what the discipline says and we have the what the traditional plan if it goes in fact goes in fact January 1 of 2020 and some people are talking about holy resistance and what does that look like what is the what is that all what is that all about that is again a, a geographic the quest, the answer to that question is geographic we already have across the connection um, people who are following you mentioned holy resistance another name for it is biblical obedience um, Bishop Melvin Talbert, uh, a few years ago, um, launched the Biblical Obedience um, campaign. I believe that was in 2012, even, or right after the 2012 General Conference. That is permission from the body of the church to, for ministers to live into ministering in the way that they feel they need to minister in their congregations. That has led to some ministers deciding to do same-gender weddings. It has led to some congregations agreeing that same-gender weddings will be held in their congregation or in their sanctuaries. So it's led to a lot of different things. It it has led to um, the boards of ordained ministry that are deciding that um, they are going to approve for for. Um, the clergy session, everyone who meets the requirements for, for ministry. So those are some of the things that are a part of holy resistance or biblical right. obedience. And as we uh, deal with the challenges of the traditional plan and the the uh, aspects of it which are challenging, for a lot of folks have said that um, the punitive aspects of it are have been really devastating and harmful to a lot of folks. And I'd just like to speak about personal experience that you've ever witnessed or know of where you have just have witnessed uh, how some of these decisions have been, uh, have done harm. That's really an easy question. And I think the, the, and, and one of the reasons that I do this work, I mean, I came out of corporate America. I retired from corporate America and just kind of landed in this job. Um, because of my interest in, in, the, in the area um, and because of my desire to do something to help. The, um, but the thing that, that, that I think people can do, um, and I'm, I, I, I am blanking on the question you just asked Well, me. I just wondered some, maybe an example of how you've seen harm done. Oh, yeah, the... Feelings hurt, right. or someone who their track and course in life has been, you know, yes, changed yes. dramatically changed. Yeah, sorry about that. My mind wandered for a minute. Um, no, the 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 reason that I do this all this work is is that I look at the statistics of of suicide attempts and suicide rates among LGBTQ youth, and and I look at the reasons that those who attempted suicide would give that. It is ex- it is the highest population among youth and the what we hear from a lot of youth is if the church turns its back on us if the church that baptized us and nurtured us through our early years turns its back on us when we realize um, who we are as people and who God made us to be then we don't know where to turn 
Um, and I, it would be so easy for the church to change and, and for that harm to not happen. And that's just a, that's a minor example. Not a minor example, it's a big example, but it's just the thing that um, immediately comes to mind, and it's the, the big harm. I mean, I, 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 when I had friends on the Commission on the Way Forward, they would ask me um, when, when, what I thought of different things, and I said, look, when you can tell me that the queer child in a church in one of the most remote parts of our, of our denomination is not at any risk of of letting his local church know that he's queer then you've done your job but as long as the answer to that question is yes there's still a risk to that child then i don't think your job is done so we see that situation where there is people being hurt and so on and the punitive nature of some of the traditional plan and yet there are those who would say to you jan uh, jan i just don't know how you can square this with what the Bible says, or how you can square this with, with uh, what the social norms and even things like physiology, you know. How do, you, how do you respond to folks who challenge you in these areas? There are a lot of different answers to that. The, there are some resources, and I'm happy to, to provide resources to, to anyone who's interested in them, that, that I like to recommend that people read. Um, to, when, that, when the topic is scriptural interpretation. Um, and I, you know, I came out of the Southern Baptist Convention. I grew up in the South, so I understand conservative theology. But I, but I like to challenge people to read scripture a little more deeply um, and to understand more of the context in which the story um, is being told. Um, for some people, that's not enough of an answer, um, and, and that's okay. It's a journey. Um, I, th- I think what people don't realize is that most of us had to go through the process of understanding and educating ourselves and, and finding an answer um, to the scriptural question. And, and then for some people in the LGBTQ community, it, it is simply a matter of knowing who they are and knowing that God loves them. Well, and it's part of that also goes back to, I believe, to some of what you shared earlier about how the more opportunities we have to get folks together from different backgrounds, including sexual orientation, uh, that makes a difference when you people develop relationships and become friends or have discovered those relationships. And that's where I want to go with you now, Janism. I'd like you, we talked a little bit about how some of these people are people are hurt and there's differences of opinion. But what do you think are signs of hope right now? What are some things moving forward that, uh, that the church can build on, even in the midst of some stress here? Signs of hope in the United Methodist Church. So I think there's, there are a lot of signs of hope. Um, it would be really difficult to do this job if I didn't think that. Um, when I look at some of our annual conferences, and, and I see, for example, in one annual conference there was a um, queer clergy candidate who was not really known by the annual conference who was the second elected lay delegate for general conference. Um, When I look at, I'm from the Baltimore Washington annual conference and and T.C. Morrow and Joey Heath Mason who have been in a lot of articles over the last few weeks since the Baltimore Washington annual conference, when I see that that T.C. was commissioned after four 
years of being told no. And Joey was ordained. That gives me hope. When I, when I look at the reaction that churches and annual conferences and ministers and lay people all over our connection had after the, the traditionalist plan um, was voted into effect in, in February, when you see all the newspaper ads and all of the editorials and all of the, the signs posted and the fact that the phones are still ringing off the hook at Reconciling Ministries Network. Every day we have another 10 to 20 churches or, or communities that reach out to us and want to know how to affiliate. It, it is such a rapid pace that we can't keep up with it, which is, which is great, which is great. And, and as you mentioned, in our initial part of our discussion, you said this is a movement that, that is happening. And so if there are individuals or local churches that somehow wanted to make a connection, learn more about Reconciling Ministries Network or you know what's involved with that process, how do they go about doing that? So we're, there's a, the, there are, are resources on our website. Um, you can email me at jan at rmnetwork.org. Um, and we have a, it's a three-step process. Um, we like to make sure that churches go through the process so that they understand what it is that they're affiliating with. Um, it's easy to say that I want to affiliate with, with RMN because I think what the church did is wrong. Um, it's not as easy to say, yes, my church is willing to live into a, an identity that is an inclusive identity if that's not been a part of the DNA of the church. Fortunately, a lot of the churches that try to affiliate with us are already there in terms of their, the, the ministries of the church and the outreach of the church. And, and this is just a more formalization of a relationship. But we do like to... to to make sure that churches go through that process. Um, and we require a church vote. Um, it can be informal. It doesn't have to be a, a church conference by any stretch of the imagination. All those, and the individuals can, can be aligned with you as well, right? Individuals can be aligned with us as well, and it's very easy to sign up. You go to our website and search on um, how to get engaged. What, what is the website? It's RM Network, R-M-N-E-T-W-O-R-K dot org. Um, and it's easy to find where you, where you can sign up. And, and signing up as an individual puts you on our, our email list, which is a way that you will hear about all of those resistance efforts that are on a, an annual conference or a, or a national level. Um, you will hear about... Things like UMC Next and Our Movement Forward and some of the other efforts that are happening across the country where United Methodists are getting together to try to address the harm that, that has happened. And um, if I can, I want to say another thing about harm because I mentioned um, youth, but I did not mention the harm that happens on a daily basis to, to queer people in the church who just are not equal at any table that we go to. I, I can remember sitting down with um, one of the bishops in the in the southeastern jurisdiction and telling him that, you know, I just looked they, forward to the day in the church that I could sit down at a table and have a, a conversation with him as an equal United Methodist and, and not somebody who couldn't do these things because of who God made me to be. Um, so I, I think that that's the other harm. And 
it is that harm that's done to anybody who's United Methodist who identifies as LGBTQ because who they are is not acceptable to the church that they call home. That's what you're speaking to, right? Well, just one more thing, Janet. By the way, uh, we will put all in our show notes, we'll put your website and all those things, where people, a link where people can connect up to there. And you, our uh, website for our podcast is unitedmethodistpodcast.com. Now, I'd like you to speak a little more specifically, and this will be one of our last things we talk about here, but let's make it personal. What I mean by that is that uh, let's just say there's a 21-year-old one-year-old young man who is uh, has as evolving as in terms of his going openness with his uh, homosexuality, but is also part of his uh, self-discovery is his faith journey. And one of the things I think we have a real challenge in our faith overall, whether it's in this issue or many others, is helping us uh, to be pertinent and relevant to younger folks, but all folks, really. You know, we have a challenge in our whole church right now. Uh, and I'd see a lot of this, what we're talking about here, as a, as a distraction to what, you know, our actual mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But my question to you, Jan, is what would you say to that 21-year-old young man about uh, how he could still discover Christ? Or what would you, advice would you give him about uh, his walk in faith in the United Methodist Church? So the the first thing I would tell him is, and and it and it depends on his particular church, right? If the young man is in a church where he is fully welcomed for who he is and, and, and is a part of the life of the church, I would tell him to continue in his United Methodist Church and that we will figure this out. Um, there will be an expression of Methodism where who he is um, is not an issue for, and it won't be that much longer. Um, if he is in a church where his, the reception is different from that, then I would encourage him to look for a United Methodist Church where he might be more fully accepted and included. Um, I would point him in the direction of MANA. Um, I haven't mentioned MANA before, but MANA is a, um, it's an online worship service for LGBTQ United Methodists. Um, it was launched on Pentecost Sunday, so it's had one service. Um, it was attended, I think, by between four and 500 people. I may be wrong in that number. Um, one of the members of the Board of Directors for Reconciling Ministries Network is engaged in, in that effort, and, and I would link the young man with them. It, it, is, a, it is a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I mean... And I encourage everybody, and this doesn't matter if they're uh, if it's a queer person or not. Educate yourself. Be be able to have a conversation with somebody whose scriptural interpretation is different from yours, um, and know when to walk away. Right? I mean, there are people who have their minds made up um, and will not look at things any differently from however they lo- want to look at them on any side of the the argument. And and sometimes you just have to walk away from those conversations, and that's okay. Well, thank you. That's some really excellent advice there. And I think I would just share that we still, we as United Methodists or Wesleyan, and we believe in the primacy of grace, that uh, primacy of grace that we all are, you know, we all are sinners and need the love of others. And we certainly need to live in a, a church where grace is lifted up and we can be accepting of one another. And it seems to me that's what you're advocating here 
a sense of tolerance of one another and helping to educate people. And a part of that process is getting people together and have that conversation where many times people have been, you know, in their own groups, their own silos, and not interconnecting. If, we, if we're a connectional church, then we need to have these conversations, including on these tough issues as we move forward. And we thank you for being a part of the United Methodist People podcast where we are all about having these conversations and commentary, and it's all about strengthening those connections. So we thank Jan Lawrence, the Executive Director of the Reconciling Ministries Network, for being our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. I think you got a lot out of that conversation. I know that I did. Getting the perspective of the Reconciling Ministries Network and the work they're doing for a full inclusion, dealing with folks who are, uh, who are hurt, who are in many cases devastated by the actions of United Methodist Church at General Conference 2019. You heard her talk about the pain and the aspect of do no harm, uh, which is a part of our credo as a church, and many people feel they were harmed, and how responding these folks are often responding in various ways of holy resistance, which just takes on different forms, including the advocacy of uh, same-sex weddings and ordination of homosexual persons as clergy, and various other things that are done, demonstrations and other ways to resist. There's that. But I also wanted you to hear the uh, the hope that she talked about, about a movement of folks who are beginning to have difficult conversations that we need to have in the church that extend you know, beyond the LGBTQ questions to other issues of exclusionary practices in, in the church that are sometimes uh, on the surface and sometimes deeper down. And she's an advocacy for all those things. There are some things to be valued here in our conversation. There's many parts of this conversation around the church right now, of course, and we'll see how things shake out in General Conference 2020 and beyond. And uh, But there's interesting conversations to be had. But I wanted you to hear the word of hope about a movement of people engaging in deep conversation in order to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Thank you for being with us today on the United Methodist People podcast. Join me next time. We'll have another another great guest. Until then, remind you to adhere to the words of John Wesley, who said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection of the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. And always do all the good you can.